there is a, a black hole. It's at the center of our galaxy. It's a pretty big thing. And uh, the goal right now is scientists would like to be able... You got to turn it off before you drop it. Come on, PJ. <laughs> the goal right now is we want to be able to have a telescope that's able to see close enough to where we can see the planets and the asteroids and all the stuff that's actually spinning around in the black hole as it's sucked into the giant toilet of space. Come on, that's cool, right? There's one problem with that, though. For us to see that far, get the HD resolution, okay, we have to have a telescope that is the size of Earth. That's a problem, right? So basically, we're trying to build the Death Star, but just as a telescope, like not to shoot anything, just to see it, right? Okay, we have to warm up a little bit. It's summer, all right? I mean, you guys should be happy and some kind of energy, right? Okay. Actually, no, you're probably sad because you're not at the lake or the beach, okay? Well, that's important. So if you guys haven't gotten to go, you need to go so that when school starts back, you're not missing any more church, okay? That's the, that's the deal here. But uh, this is phenomenal. Think about this. There's a black hole. It is so big, but yet so far away that it's so big, okay, that it is able to suck in planets, just go around the giant, I mean, just, but yet it's so far away that we can't even see it, but it's that big. And that's just inside of this galaxy. There are billions of other galaxies and black holes and planets. Now, if that by itself is not powerful enough to tell you that you might not have God all figured out, I don't know how, like, how else to tell you. That does it for me. The God who fits into my brain, the God who fits into my Sunday uh, morning, the God who fits into the, the small places in my life I want him to fit. If that God is not bigger than that, then surely then that God is not the one who made all of this. There are many ways, but some way we have to be willing to allow our image of God to get bigger. Now, in this series so far... We've talked about the idea that most of us have an image of God, an idea of God, a, uh, if you would, uh, of a portrait of God. But the problem with that is it's made primarily off of our understanding, off of our experiences, and dangerously, that God often looks like us. And so, in this series, we talked about how dangerous this is and, and how we have to be aware that God is so much more and so much bigger than who we think he is. And so it's important for us to get around different people and different ideas and to expose ourselves to who God really is in the Scripture and allow the Spirit of God to move in us and to kind of to mess with us. Now, uh, if it's your first Sunday with us or if you've been at the lake or the beach uh, for a month, you need to go back and watch the whole series because it's going to be hard to jump in this morning. But we're going to kind of move on because we have a whole lot to cover. But that's the gist of it. But so far, we've talked about imagination um, if you would, the way that we imagine God in a negative way. We've talked about how most of us have this, this broken image of who God is, and that's the only God that we're willing to interact with and to worship and to pray to and to worship to and to think about. And if anyone else comes to us and challenges us with a different God who looks different than the God who we have, there's a problem there. But this morning, I want to shift gears. I want to talk this morning about how imagination is also something that is good, for our walk with God. Imagination is actually one of the crucial things that we need to begin to uh, engage with and be intentional with when it comes to how we understand God. Now, uh, thanks to the Enlightenment, we have kind of come to a place where we see, if you would, there are spiritual things and there are natural things. Spiritual things are unseen things. These things are good if you're a Christian, right? Agreed? Holy Spirit, prayer, faith, believing, right? Salvation. Are you able to show me salvation? Are you, are you able to show me the Holy Spirit? There's someone going, yes, I can. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? 
We've been taught that the unseen is good. And again, you've been taught that if you've grown up in church. Okay, the unseen is spiritual stuff. But see, physical things, say like, um, how do you put that? Like matter. Say this body, we call it flesh, right? We talk about how the flesh is always at war with the spirit. We talk about how this material stuff is fleeting and it's not important. And, and yet, that's not exactly what the scriptures were saying about these things. But we've taken a modern idea of this, and what's kind of come to us is this. Anything that's unseen is spiritual. Anything that is seen is not spiritual. And so at the same time, it's almost like anything that's a part of us, that's, how you put that, innately part of us, we've come to see it as bad. That includes your brain. How many of you have kind of had the idea or been taught that when it comes to growing with God, it's important for you to grow in your spirit. But when we talk about our brain, it's almost like, yeah, well, if they start reading, if they go to school, they'll get full of all that science stuff, you know? I mean, come on, do you guys like go to church at all? Anybody? Okay. You know, they'll start thinking about global warming. We need to erase all of that from computers and their brains. Come on, wake up. I'll just get worse if you're quiet. <laughs> so that's what it is. That's what it is. You guys are trying to egg me on. That's, okay, I understand. I, I get it. Okay. I had to pull back this Sunday. I've noticed the last few Sundays that we've been getting closer and closer to that line. Okay, I've, I've noticed more people grabbing their purses, getting ready to run out the door. So I turned it back a little bit. Now, what's going on in this is, you know, again, because we haven't really understood how the natural things can be spiritual. And one of the first kind of victims of this, this thinking has been our minds, our brains. And in that process, we've tried to spiritualize everything. And so we have spiritual words for things, like faith, right? But if I wanted to explain faith to someone who, who didn't understand that language, I would call it what? Say trusting. How about that, right? Um, if I wanted to talk about prayer, but to someone who doesn't know about prayer, I, I would say things like what? Talking, asking, listening, right? But that's not spiritual enough for us, correct? If I want to talk about the mind of Christ, most of us have this, this idea that it's like this this kind of mystical thing where all of a sudden I get saved and all of a sudden somehow like God is just in my brain like he's, and he's telling me what to think. But what if it looked more like training ourselves how to think? What if it was more like educating our minds about God? Silence now. No, 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 no. When I came up... Uh, with the title for the series, uh, Imaginary God, Pastor Zach was like, you try really hard to get people mad at you, don't you? <laughs> I was like, no, well, yes, but yeah, you get it. Because there's something about that idea. You're telling me that I think up God. You're telling me he's just a creation of my own mind. Is that what you're trying to tell me? Yes and no. The problem which we, we've, we've talked about, is that most of us have created who God is to us. It is the result of our experiences and our learning and the, the small groups of agreement that we've found safety in. But at the same time, this is also the way it's supposed to work. Um, let's go back to our verse for this morning. 2 Corinthians 3, uh, I want to go down to verse, which one was it? Uh, 17. Now the Lord is spirit, and with the spirit of the Lord is there's freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. NIV gets it nailed on this one. The word in the Greek is like this. It's everyone, let me paraphrase this. The message Bible according to Devin, okay? It's like this. It's everyone who looks at Jesus and chews on it. Allows it to process. The more that they look at Jesus and they chew on it, the more that the image of Jesus is going to appear on them. 
Now, it doesn't sound like nearly as spiritual or cool, right? The more that I look directly at Jesus. Now, it's not the more I look or I listen to my favorite pastors, preachers, sermons. I just, not the more I talk to people on Facebook who agree with me. It's not these things. It's the more that I look at the God who's revealed in Jesus in the Scriptures and in history. The more I allow this image, which, by the way, should be controversial. It should be painful, and it should shake you to your core. But, by the way, that's okay. The more I look at this image and I allow it to turn in me, the more that I'm going to begin to look like what I was looking at. But as we talked about last week, the problem is this. The problem is that we don't look at God. The problem is that we look at the Jesus who looks like us. And the more that we look at the Jesus who looks like us, the more that we look like what we look at. The more that I listen to the news outlet who says what I want to say, the more I talk to my friends who say what I agree with, the more that I the more I begin to contemplate, chew on these things, the more that I begin to look like these things. It's a dangerous kind of a, a thing for us to, to accept here. Now, what's going on in all of this is that the reality is this. The more that we begin to encounter and to let God be who He is, the more that that contemplation, the the more you chew on it, if you would, the more, it, it, the more that it begins to kind of churn inside of us, the more that this is going to begin to change us. Now, in this process, I want to talk about the power of the imagination. I'm going to talk about it sometimes, and I think sometimes when we talk about imagination, we kind of limit it to child's play. Agreed? What do you think about whenever I say Imagination. Disney comes to my mind. You know, I, I, see the, the, I see Dumbo, and he's kind of flying. You know, I, I see the castle, and, you know, okay, no one else? Okay, fine. And so in this process, I think sometimes we, we underestimate the power of our imagination, the power of engaging our minds to make something real, to visualize it. Now, if you are not aware of how powerful your mind is, here's a test. Think about the experiences you've had with lust. Now, it's not just for men. It's not just sexual. Think about anything that you, that you have wanted, whether it was sexual, whether it was uh, money, whether it was success, or you wanted to be this other person. Read those uh, celebrity magazines. Anybody read those? I am so, I just want to know more and more and more about them and more about them. And are they a Sagittarius and do they like Chinese food? And because the more information I can add, the more I can imagine, the more that this person who's far away becomes real to me. Are you seeing what happens here? The more that I look at all those, any car guys in a room or gals, okay? The more that I look through the antique car show or the more I go online and I look at all the cars I want to buy, the more that I read about the details of the engine, transmission displacement, the more, that I, the more I can add to my, I can just feel myself driving. I can see myself go down the road. The more that this imaginary dream becomes real. All right, fine. Fantasy football players, anybody? The more that I can get, and the more I can touch it, it's, you know, if I could just watch more games, learn more, if I can follow this high school recruit all the way through college, if I can just, the more I can see myself on the field, I will never be a part of the team, but I feel like I am. When the Razorback boosters come to me, we need your help, you know, we want you to have the best seats, and if you could just give us a little more, you're helping the team. We're going to land that top recruit if I just give a little more money. Something that's far away from me in reality, I am now coming closer to. I'm adding to my imagination of this thing. Okay. How about fear? Who has phobias in the room? Spiders, snakes, uh, close places, uh, heights. How about heights? Anyone has, has a problem with heights? Okay. Most people, most people who have an issue with heights have never actually been up very high. 
how do you even know you're afraid of it? You've never even been up there. I, no, I just can't fly. I just can't do it. Have you ever been in a plane? No. How do you know? I could just, I just think about it. And I can just imagine myself standing up there, and I can just feel it. Something that you've never actually experienced is so real to you. And it didn't just happen. Those of you with phobias, if you, if you track yourself when you're a child, you, you'll notice. The more time you've spent thinking about this fear, the more real this fear becomes. Correct? Now, I'm not the type of pastor who would sit up here and tell you, oh, that is fake. That's not even real. Because I think that's a very wrong understanding of what is real, of what reality actually is. For some of you in this room, your fear of heights is actually one of the most real things in your life. You haven't ever really touched it or tasted it or experienced it, but it affects you. You think about it, you feel it, you sense it. It, it, it determines choices you make in your life. It hinders you. Some of you in this room have a fear of death, and that fear of death is one of the most real things in your life. It's more real than even people that you know, than even experiences which you've actually experienced. This is more real to you. Why? Because you have to understand your imagination is powerful. One of the things that I really was not a huge fan of as a pastor was I started to realize how the most passionate, if you would, Christians, the ones who would spend more time, the ones who would enjoy worship, the ones who would sing and dance and get into stuff, they tend to be extremely creative people. They tend to be visual people. And I, I hated that because I'm not a creative, and creatives are different from me. They would like to yell when I want to sit in silence. They want to dance whenever I, you know, you know, I just want to sit and, you know, enjoy the moment. And they make me uncomfortable. But I found that the people who were the most excited about God, the, you know, were, they tended to be in these groups. Now, again, it's not always, but I began to see this. And the more I thought about it and, and I read about it and I prayed about it, I started to realize these people have an ability to make something unseen more real to them than someone who's not gifted that way. What's interesting is that everyone in this room has used their imagination to engage God. Have you ever raised your hands before in worship? Have you ever closed your eyes in prayer? Have you ever wondered, like, why we even close your eyes? Anybody? Who is that weird person in the room when everyone else closes their eyes? He's just like, you're like, you're not supposed to do that. That's... Why do you think that we close our eyes? Because I can't engage something I can't see when I'm looking at something that I can see. Does that make sense? It's easier for me to begin to engage God whom I cannot see <clears throat> if I begin to push away the things I can see. This morning... Um, Nisa led us in what is called cataphactic prayer. Cool? If you noticed, what we did there was we did a physical action to represent a, if you would, invisible reality. The idea was to sit down as a way of expressing as a way of physically connecting to something we're thinking about, to where the Word said we bow down. <clears throat> what that is even about is submission. Even the act of bowing itself is a way of connecting your, your action to an idea. When I bow down, it doesn't really matter that I'm on the ground bowing down. What matters is what it means. It's, 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 it's the value connected to my action. For me to bow down means that I'm fully submitted. I'm fully under. I'm fully laying everything down to you. And so since she was wise enough to know that most of you would not get down on your knees, we sat down in a chair. And for many of you, it was probably a, a special experience if you allowed it to be. 
because you weren't just thinking anymore. Now your thinking is now being reinforced by your acting. You are now experiencing, you are now adding to this experience. It's not just an idea, I submit to you. Now it's I submit to you. Have you ever sang words to a song before? What is the real value in singing words to a song? Think about this for a second. Do you think God really cares about our singing? We covered this in the Heaven series, right? This idea that we're all going to be around this, 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 this seat and there's like this glowing ball and we're all going to sing a song for eternity. Do you really think God created you for your voice? Not me, at least. I mean, maybe you. I mean, not me. That's not the value that I bring to the table. You don't want to hear me singing, okay? Oh, he just made all of us because he wants to hear us sing a really great song. It's kind of like happy birthday, you know, where everyone sings your song, but it's all the time. Cool. There's something about singing words. Because, see, there's a way that I can connect to something when I begin to physically act as I mentally think. I'm not just thinking about the words about him being great or exalted or he's loving or he's a good father, all these things. Now I'm going to add action. It's making it more real for me. This is the thinking, the reason that we do all these things we do. If you come from a holiness tradition and... You were taught to not sin, uh, you know, all these things are bad, so we have to watch things we eat, the things we say, the way we dress, uh, all these different things. It made God more real for you in a certain way, because you're now beginning to act out ways that make God real to you. If you grew up in a charismatic church, it's all about emotion, and so the, the music and the words and, you know, the people praying for you and, you know, the experience, and there was an energy to it. And so this, this, this element of experience, emotion, it made God real to you. If you grew up uh, liturgical, when you come to the table and you have people all around you who are different from you, and you're holding this bread and you're tasting the bread and you're tasting the wine, it's making this idea, which at the time was only an idea, it's making it real to you. And so it's important for us to realize that this is how we all do it. We all do this in some way, shape, or form. But what happens here, oh, how about this one? If you're a word of faith, how about this? You are taught to always speak these certain ideas about God. And the more that I speak these things, these ideas, I am, how do I say this? In the best way possible, I am spiritually brainwashing myself in a good way. It's good stuff. It really is. You should try it. And so when I see a bad situation, I'm speaking a good thing to it. I'm training myself to expect God to be different from what I would actually normally think he is. I am rewiring my brain. And then, I, then I'll call it faith. But what you need to understand is this. There is not such a huge divide from what is spiritual and what is natural. And what we have to do is this. We have to be people who are willing to accept the gifts God gives us. And your imagination is one of the best gifts God has ever given you for how to connect to Him. And you need to learn to begin to engage it. So, we're talking about how to engage it through prayer this morning. I'm excited about this. This should be pretty interesting. Now, in this whole process of praying, here's one thing I want to cover with you. Understand this. Every one of you is praying to an image, okay? You're praying to an idea, a form of who you think God is. Every one of you. Who you think God is, it dictates how you interact with this God. For example, how much you pray. I used to spend hours and hours and hours praying. Hours and hours. Because I thought that the God that I was following, he wanted me to spend five hours a day in prayer. You think I'm kidding? I was very literal back then. Five hours every day because that's what he wants from me. He wants me to pray, 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 pray. And then I became a parent and I go, no, he wants a break sometimes. (laughs) 
think I had it all wrong. <laughs> the way you speak when you speak to God. It informs me of how you think about God. The easiest way for me to learn your theology, if you would, for, the easiest way for me to learn who you think God is, is to pray with you. It all comes out in about five minutes. If you say nothing, if you're silent, if you're loud, if you yell, if you speak in King James, as Pastor Larry teaches us, you know, uh, that some of us have this weird habit. We just think that God speaks King James. That's what he does. I don't know why. He just does. If you get emotional with God, if you hide emotion from God, if you're someone who in prayer you think God only wants me to speak positive things, and so I don't ever really tell him all the nasty, ugly things, this all tells me who your God is. Prayer is the ultimate place that shows us who we think God is. If you never pray, that shows me who you think God is. And it's important here to know this too. We are not just praying to a, a, an image. We are now praying in a relationship, meaning the way that we communicate to God shows the type of relationship that we have with him. Does that make sense? I switched the word around. I'm using the word communicate in the place of prayer. Well, that's not spiritual enough. It's okay. The way that you talk to your spouse tells me what kind of marriage you have. Okay? The things you ask of your spouse tells me what kind of marriage you have. The things you do not ask of your spouse, the things you do not tell to your spouse tells me the kind of marriage and that kind of marriage, that marriage is built on your image, your identity of who that person is. How about this? If you guys have had friends uh, who have been deep friends, if you guys are married, uh, uh, as you know someone, as you learn new things about them, it changes the way that you communicate, correct? Okay. We're going to do a series on marriage next week, okay, because apparently this is needed, Goodness gracious, you guys. What's amazing in marriage is the more you learn about someone, the more tempted you are to think that you, that you know them. The less often you assume that this person might do something that you couldn't predict. If you're married, how many of you have had something that you didn't want to share with your spouse? Anybody? Because when you thought about it, you had the entire conversation played out in your mind. <laughs> Correct? Okay. So you assume you know this person so well that you can predict exactly what they're going to say and react. And so because of this, you never even have the conversation. Anybody? Well, they just won't understand. And like, you know, well, they'll just get very angry at me and they'll get fresher. And so you play it out in your mind and you assume you know them. And hey, we've already had the conversation. For many of you in this room, the reason that you've stopped praying is not because you don't love God or even care about God or trust God. It's because you assume you already know what he's going to say. You assume you have him all figured out. Simple. The reason that church is not the, this huge important thing, the reason that a sermon is just a sermon, the reason that, you know, it, it's just whatever, is because we think we have it figured out. I'm, I can't really learn that much about God, right? I'm sure the sermon is going to be fun and on, and, you know, it'll say some good jokes, but I'm not really going to learn anything new because I know God. I know Him. We're going to go on a date me and my wife, you know, but I mean, but I mean, let's be honest, you know, we're just going to eat and talk and whatever. Well, I'm not really going to learn anything new. I mean, they can't be that complex. I mean, come on. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, he only made this galaxy that has this, this, this black hole and, you know, and, you know, for us to see it, we have to have the telescope size of the earth. You know, but I know that, you know, John 3.16 says, the God so loved the world. So I got it all figured out. We're good. Can't help it. <laughs> your why do you think that your favorite song is your favorite song? Favorite worship song, I'm sorry. No, I just love that song and that tag. Yes, I'm sure the music is part of it. But why do you really think? 
there's some songs we go, ooh, I love that song. Some songs we go, ooh, I don't really like that song. I, okay, I'll be honest. I still have trouble with all songs that talk about Jesus as my boyfriend. It's not that there's not a place for us to relate to God through a, an intimacy which we see in marriage. It's that culturally... It's that the way that I've been trained, person that I've grown up to be, the way that I've been taught to think about God, still, it's a stretch. And as long as I can acknowledge that and say, hey, there's something here holding you back, you know, yes, in the Scriptures, in Christ, I need to relate to God in an intimate way. No, it's not exactly what I've been told it is, but there's something there. It's not my favorite song, but there's something there. But oh, when that tag or that line comes through, and I've experienced God as this, oh, he's a good, good father. I can connect to that. Yes. But there's someone in the room who's going, no, I can't. Mm. Now, this plays directly into how we interact with him, directly into how we pray, into how we speak to him, how we, things we share, things we do not share. I, I, well, I've been taught that God is this, and he's this, and he's this, and he's this. And so again, so many of us Assume that we know how God feels about things. As a pastor, um, I make sure that I'm always throwing myself into groups and situations that are uncomfortable for me. I want to think and study God and and pray in ways that are very uncomfortable for me because I don't want to ever allow myself to assume I know how he feels about something. And the areas that I assume are the areas that I need the most to get into the Scriptures, to get into prayer, and to find him there. Now, we have to learn how to unlock our imagination in prayer. It is a crucial part of engaging Him. Here's the first thing. We have to learn how to free His voice from our voice. Okay. One of the biggest struggles that we have in prayer is what? Not hearing our own voice back to us. Would anyone be honest about that? Okay, when you pray, are you ever worried that you're the one answering your own questions? Oh, God, is it okay if I just spend, you know, just a little extra money on this really nice car? Is that okay? Oh, sure, great. Oh, great. Okay, good. Awesome. Awesome. Good talk, God. Now, if you don't, if you're not worried about that, we have a problem. You should be. Now, if you grew up in any kind of a spirit-filled kind of a denomination, you have this problem even more than anyone else around you. Because the problem with charismatics is this. I can always say this one line. I can always say, well, God told me so. Well, God told me so. I can. I can. God told me to. And so as a pastor, it was always like super taboo for pastors to say this. Are you sure that was God's voice? The moment you say that to a charismatic, they go, quench in the spirit. <laughs> quench in the spirit. I prayed in tongues and I interpreted it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Mercy. And I have this verse right here. This, you know, well, it's not the whole verse, but this, this is the small part of the verse. And I think it means, yeah. We have to free his voice from our voice. So in prayer, and this is the way it works. I have to be very honest with myself. I have to know myself. I have to know the things that I would say to myself. I have to know the way that I feel about things. Um, how do I say this? Uh, I was praying about this church one morning, and, and I'll just be honest with you and say this. I've never seen my life with me not here forever until I die. <laughs> Some people are like, yes. Yeah. Some people are like, oh, my goodness. I thought he'd get bored of us and just move on, you know? <laughs> um, and so I was praying about this, and I really felt that God was kind of trying to point something out here. And, you know, I started to kind of write down, okay, why would God not lead me somewhere else? And I started to write down all the reasons. Well, because one, you know, uh, he doesn't want you to be a quitter. 
wait, what verse is that? <laughs> then I started to kind of think about it. I was like, wait, okay, so I'm a guy who has a fear of failure. Um, okay, and I'm also a guy who, you know, he values honesty, and the worst thing I could ever do is to, oh, oh yeah, I have a savior complex. I think my job was to save everyone. Okay, so the idea of abandoning people is my biggest fear. Hmm. Is that God or is that me? I don't know. <laughs> okay, second reason. Why else? Okay, well, uh, uh, probably because um, if you left right now, you might be seen as a failure. Hmm, who does that sound like? We have to be so honest with ourselves. Whew. Now, uh, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not saying that. Okay, <laughs> everyone's like, "He's leaving." He's like, okay, no, I'm not going anywhere. But the point was is that if I, I can only be fully here and fully invested here, um, if I'm here for the right reasons, okay. And so, and so, in that, sometimes we use God as a scapegoat for our own fears. Now, it's more obvious sometimes when we use God for our own desires. I have trouble speaking about prosperity, not because I don't see a place for it in the kingdom, not because I don't even see it some places in the Scriptures. I have a problem because it has been so abused, right? It is the idea that I can begin to talk about God's plans to bless me because I'm his, his child and he's my parent, and, and he wants to bless me so much. And so it's so tempting to use God as a distraction as a scapegoat, as an excuse to justify everything that I want for myself. So Creflo, are you sure God wants you to have that brand new jet? I mean, I, I, come on, uh, come, come on, be honest. I love Creflo's sermons. He's, he's a way better preacher than I am. But his last name was Dollar. It didn't help him. I would change my last name, okay? And again, I need to get my imagination bigger, maybe. Maybe God does want me to have a brand new jet. I don't know. I'm just saying you have to be honest and be critical of yourself. Because again, you end up finding out that your God has the same values and plans and fears and goals and dreams as you do. That's all I'm saying. So we have to free his voice from our voice. And that just comes from being brutally honest. As I'm praying about this situation, I need to begin to, if you would, take off these things that I'm placing on him. Second thing is this. We need to begin to free his potential from, uh, from our expectations. And when I say that, I mean this. We always limit our trust in God according to the limitations which we've placed on him. I just like I said, I think that finances is an area that I have issues um, having faith or if you would trust in God. And, and I wouldn't even say trust in God. I have an issue asking for God because it's an area of limitation for me based on the insecurities that I have, the ideas that I have, the theology that I have. It's very hard for me to ask of God or to expect of God in this area. Now, what I have to do is this. Be honest and accept that. And so whenever I go into praying about a situation, I have to be wary of my voice and my feelings and my opinions sneaking in there and speaking in God's place. Agreed? Now, this whole process is something that Again, I, I would like to assume this is simple and easy, but, you know, I think we all know that it's not. And um, when you find yourself in prayer with God, it's one of those, we just we can't help ourselves but play out how it's going to go. We already have that idea of what he's going to say of, well, I know in the Bible it says this or this verse or, or blah, 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 and I had this experience with God. And so prayer should be the primary place in your life that is continuing to expand your image of who God is. When you go to prayer, 
a lot of your time needs to be spent stripping away your, your limitations, your ideas that you've placed on God, your own opinions, your own voice, stripping that away so that you can hear from Him. And many of us, we would go and pray if we thought we could actually hear from Him. And one of the biggest obstacles, again, is that the reason we haven't heard from Him is because we have locked Him so concretely into who we know that He is. It's amazing the ways we begin to hear from God when we stop trying to limit God. And this week, if you would even just put time into it, if you would have conversations with God that you think you already know the answer to, just that process will be emotional and powerful and impactful, and it will change you. One of the hardest things in a friendship, in a marriage, is to have that conversation, to talk that thing out, to trust someone with something, to, to be vulnerable, to risk that bad outcome, trusting that this, that this person might be better than who you think they are. And the way that you grow in your relationships with your friends and with, with, your, with your spouses, with your children and with God is when you risk it, when you choose to have the conversation anyway. When you give God an opportunity to speak for himself because you never know what he might say to you. And it's in that place of prayer. It's in that place of having to go to him and to be vulnerable and to be trusting and to take a risk that you're going to expose, one, the God who you've always limited him to be, and you're also going to be exposed to the God that he really is. And it could be a very scary thing for you. Now, here's some practicals for uh, how to engage imagination. What they call this, uh, they call this imaginative prayer, engaging your imagination intentionally as you pray. Um, here's one thing for you. Um, as, we, as, as we covered over and over again, the first goal in this is to make sure that we are praying to God and not praying to ourselves. And I wish I could give you more practical examples on how this works and what this looks like, but it's just going into prayer with honesty. Uh, the hardest thing for most of us is to go into uh, to conversation with anyone with, with vulnerability, with honesty. But in order for us to have the kind of relationship with God, to have the communication with God that we desire, uh, we, have to, we have to risk it. We have to have that. Now, the second thing is this. It's important for you to find a form of prayer that works for you. Now, what we're talking about is a way, to have, to, a way to have conversation with God that continues to, if you would, spark your mind, to help you begin to imagine Him. It's not that God is only what you imagine Him to be. It's that as we begin to engage, um, here's one. When you pray without your imagination, it's like that hotel door, Okay got the peephole. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? And so, and so you're trying to look through it. And everything just looks, right? Have you guys ever? And so like when you see that the face is like, you know what I'm talking about? When the person's at the door, and it's like you see a giant nose. God is a giant nose. I know it. I can see it right here. Because, come on. I've been more funny than this. Yeah. As we begin to engage our imagination, it's not that what's on the other side of the door changes. It's not your image of God that changes who God is. It's as you begin to engage your imagination to learn from the Scriptures, to learn from the Spirit, to learn from the people around you, that the hole you're looking through gets expanded. God on the other side, He's not ever changing, but how you see Him is. And as you see him for who he really is, how you interact changes. Um, I could be in a hotel room and uh, hear that on the door, right? If my wife is standing with her face pressed against it, and the only thing I can see is this small hole, 
I don't care if it's my wife or not. I don't, I'm not opening the door, right? I, do you have that friend who, uh, when they knock on the door, they put their hand over the hole? Yeah, that. It's jerks. It doesn't matter who is really on the other side of the door. If I don't see that person clearly, I'm not ever going to trust them enough to open the door. Engaging your imagination is not about changing who God is. It's about seeing Him for more of who He is. And so it's important for you guys to find a form that helps you. And when I say a form, it's almost like a people. Meaning, uh, who's ever prayed through a journal? Okay. <laughs> For some of you, there is something about writing out that just helps you kind of get out of the process. Praying through journaling helps me a lot because I, I'm very much in my own head. If you guys haven't noticed, I analyze everything. So I'm very much in my own head all the time. No, that's not you. No, that's God. No, you know. And so it helps me to write because as I'm writing, I find that my thoughts begin to flow freely. And so I'm just kind of writing whatever comes out. It helps me to kind of be out of the picture. And then as I kind of empty myself, if you would, now I'm available to kind of just be present, to hear whatever it is he wants to say, speak to me through an image or an idea or a scripture or, or nothing at all. Um, some people like to visualize a conversation. Um, and everyone goes, that's weird. I don't do that. Okay. Have you ever had a business meeting uh, or a test or a presentation or a confrontation with someone that you didn't want to have, and you knew it was coming, and so you just like played it over and over and over again? Now, on the one side, sometimes that's harmful, right, because it gets you just more worried and, and fearful. But what's happening is you're trying to prepare yourself, okay? And so you're making something that's not real yet more real because what? You know that it really is real. Does that? Mm-hmm. Okay. I know I'm going to have to have this conversation, right? So I need to prepare myself. I need to get myself there. And so what happens is sometimes picturing Jesus or God standing right next to you and having the conversation, sometimes that begins, even though it starts imaginary, okay, it's based on something I know in the Scriptures. I know He's present with me in the Spirit. I know He's with me. And so sometimes imagining this helps me begin to expand the peephole to where it goes from imagination to reality. And anybody? It's jump-starting. Because what, what happens through my, through my imagination, it prepares my senses. Have you ever thought about something so much that you can almost smell it? Yeah. Think about Thanksgiving Day. I just think about it, and I can almost smell it. I can taste it. It's weird, isn't it? It's spiritual. It's what it really is, especially when you eat. Super spiritual. Um, and what happens in this is as you begin to engage your imagination, it's almost priming your senses, meaning it's preparing you to be sensitive. I feel the need to over-explain because I think people think I'm crazy. When you go on a date... You can be there and not be there, okay? We've all agreed, right? What happens in this day, I'm only really here to receive and, and, and to be present to interact if I engage my mind here. That's a weird thing, too. I can physically be with someone and not be if my mind isn't engaged. Okay, God is really everywhere, correct? If you're a Christian, you know, you believe that, right? He's omnipresent. His Spirit is everywhere, but He's not, I'm not here with Him until I begin to engage my mind. Okay. Okay. If you think I'm crazy, I'm sorry. I'm not crazy. <laughs> Just a little. I'm crazy in other ways, not this way. Um, one of the last things to do in prayer, engage your body in prayer. We did that um, uh, this morning uh, during worship when we sat down to express reverence. Um, Pastor Larry, sometimes when he prays, uh, he'd be in his office and I'd walk in and uh, he'd be on the ground, you know, with, with his face down. Again, it wasn't that God needs him to lay down. It's a way of him connecting how he feels to make it, to express it to God. Here's how I feel. Now, in a not-so-holy way, sometimes I like to use my body to express things to God too. 
what the heck? <laughs> right? Okay. You can do that too, by the way. Sometimes words are enough. <laughs> okay. Let's go ahead and stand. Now, in all of these things, as we begin to engage in God, as we begin to know how important it is for us to engage our mind with God, how important it is to understand that we don't have Him figured out, to let go of these small images of who God is. As we engage our mind now to, to encounter Him in a bigger way, we engage it through the Scriptures, we engage it through the Spirit, and we engage it through the stories, through the testimony, the witness of those around us. And so, I might not be able to engage God as my healer. But when I hear your story of how God touched you or how when you were sick in the hospital and this happened for you, I'm able to take my mind and begin to engage here and say, I know the scriptures say this about you. I know that the Holy Spirit knows this about you. I know that this person knows this about you, but I don't know it yet. I'm going to use this person's story to engage you that way. I don't know you as my financial provider. You haven't come through for me. Or I haven't even asked that of you yet. But whenever I hear someone else's story of how you did these things for them through finances, I get to connect to you through that. Amen. Father, we just come to you this morning and we just need grace. Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd be with us in all these processes that we'd be willing to let go of these small broken images of who you are that we would free your voice from our voice, that we would be honest enough with ourselves to know when it's us speaking and not you, and that we would be brave enough to risk having the conversation. We wouldn't assume that we know how you think or feel or <sighs> in all these different situations, that we would be willing to ask, to share, to tell you, to listen. We ask that we would expand our idea of who you are and let you encounter us in a real way that reforms us and reshapes us. In Jesus' name.